Welcome to session six, how we grow the devoted life. And um, let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for this time together, listening to your word. And I pray you would build into us um, even more of a passionate devotion to following your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so grateful that you sent him in your great love for us as sinners to die for us on the cross. And thank you, Father, for raising him up from the dead and the salvation we have in you. And Lord, I pray that we would have a deep personal relationship with you and that we would grow in our devotion to follow you more and more as the days and weeks and months and the years go by. So I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Peter exhorts us in Second um, Peter chapter 3, verse 16, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 2, it talks about the day of Pentecost after uh, those who believed, repented, and were baptized. Were, uh, it's amazing just the way 3,000 souls were added to the church in one day, just the power of the Holy Spirit saving was just so wonderful. That must have been wonderful to behold. It's interesting in Acts 2, 42, one of the things that the Word of God points out is that um, in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, they, speaking of these new believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That, that phrase, they devoted themselves, um, really speaks to the way we should be living our Christian lives. We should be devoted to Christ. We should be wholeheartedly devoted to Him and hold nothing back in our followership of Him. And that's what really this uh, session's about, how we grow, how we pursue the devoted life for the glory of God. Um, one of the things that we want to hit on in point one here is that we really pursue a relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, it is a personal relationship with God uh, that we have as Christians, and that should blow us away every single time we hear it, that we've been brought into a personal relationship with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And God has done that. He has brought the far away ones near, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says, all because of his grace and his mercy and his salvation in our lives. And that should just excite us. Um, point one under personal relationship with God says, part of the incredible blessing of our salvation is that we are adopted as God's children and given the privilege of intimate fellowship or communion with him every day. This means not just an intellectual knowledge of him, but an experiential knowledge. Christianity is not primarily a religion of rules or philosophy, but of relationship. That is so important. And one of the things that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion is the personal relationship with God that uh, that the one true God gives to those who believe in his Son. It's so, so important to note. God desires this. He, he loves this. And we want to have that experiential knowledge of the Lord and not just sort of an intellectual knowledge about him. 
we really don't want to just know about God. We want to know God. And the good news is we can know Him through His Word. Uh, John 17.3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And Ephesians 3.18 and 19 talks about this knowledge. Um, it says that we may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That word there, to know this love, is the word gnosko in the Greek, and that means uh, not just head knowledge, but experiential knowledge of God's love. He doesn't want to just want us just to know it conceptually. He wants us to know it experientially. And I pray that even as we pursue this new members class and this course, that you would really come to know God in that personal relationship with Jesus kind of way. And it, God would protect all of us from having sort of a, a head knowledge, but but not a heart knowledge of him. You might have heard the expression that it's possible to miss heaven by 18 inches, and that's the distance, the distance between your head and your heart. That there's some people who sort of know God in their head, but they really don't believe in Him with their hearts, and they don't have this experiential knowledge. They kind of know about God, and they might even believe in the man upstairs, but they, they don't really know um, this wonderful God and His amazing love, His His sacrificial death on the cross for our sins and, and know that in an experiential way. And that really is the a, a great dividing line between those who are truly saved and those who aren't. And uh, that's why it's so important for us to, to know Him. Uh, Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, A.W. Tozer said, God wills that we should push on into His presence and live our whole life there. This is to be known to us in conscious experience. It's more than a doctrine to be held. It's a life to be enjoyed every moment of every day. And, you know, one of our um, words and our motto as a church, our motto is exalting, proclaiming, and enjoying Jesus Christ. And one of those words, we, we chose it by design, is exalting, proclaiming, but also enjoying Jesus Christ we want you here at Christ Community Church, and we want we want you really, most importantly, just in your Christian life, to really enjoy this personal relationship you have now with God through faith in His Son. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and many believers, I think, miss out on really enjoying God, enjoying Christ. And we want to we want to really help you. And if you have any questions about that, please talk with one of the pastors. Talk with us and. Let us know how we can be caring for you so that you really have that personal relationship with God. Uh, point A, God is a personal being. The Bible reveals God as one who is alive and personal. He's the living God. He knows, feels, wills, and acts. He has a name. He has a personality. He, doesn't, he just doesn't have a body. That's right, God is spirit. Um, as humans, we need our physical bodies to express our personalities, but God does not. Rather, God relates with men through the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13.14 says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship 
of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And the Holy Spirit has uh, been called the experience point of the Trinity. You know, the Holy Spirit helps us to experience um, just the presence of God, the guidance of God, the, the personal touch of God in a really powerful way. And we just thank God for uh, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And as we mentioned earlier, um, many Christians are Trinitarian in belief, but binitarian in practice. We really want to worship the Holy Spirit for the way that He um, touches our lives, touches our hearts, and and helps us to see Jesus, helps us to see the Father, and, and also gives us fellowship with Himself. And um, as we turn to the second page of the outline, B, um, God desires a relationship with His people. Um, God is never aloof from man, but He's intimately involved with Him. Before sin entered the world, we have a picture of God. I love this phrase. Walking in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. Um, although sin caused a separation between God and man, God still graciously chose people to be His people and to relate with them on a personal basis. We see that with Enoch in the Old Testament and Noah. They, they walked with God is the phrase. Isn't that wonderful? And Abraham was called God's friend. Moses would speak to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And David gazed upon the beauty of the Lord. Um, God is near to us. And uh, it's important for us to note that. This experience of intimate relationship with God was not reserved for a few super saints, but is available to all of God's people. All the words and descriptions of our relationship with God highlight this personal aspect. Father to child, husband to wife, shepherd, sheep, Lord to his servant. Uh, the culmination of our relationship on earth is our eternal relationship in heaven when we will see his face, that's right, seeing Jesus face to face is, is going to be the ultimate highlight of our existence. And um, when we get to just see God face to face, that's what heaven's going to be all about. That's what's going to make heaven, heaven. Um, and uh, one uh, Christian author, John Piper, wrote a book a few years ago um, called God is the Gospel. And, and what he said in there basically was that um, being with God and enjoying God forever, um, that really is the, the goal of our salvation. That's, the, that's where our salvation leads. All the things that God has done in sending His Son to die on the cross and giving us forgiveness um, and granting unto us the free gift of His righteousness, all of those things gets everything out of the way that hindered us from being in relationship with Him forever in heaven. And the goal of our salvation is going to be realized when we get to heaven and we see Him face to face and we enjoy the personal relationship with God um, in His immediate presence forever and ever. And that's going to be awesome. And that's really what uh, life and eternal life is all about, is to be with God in personal relationship with Him, to be reconciled, to Him, and to enjoy Him forever. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> uh, John 10, 14 and 15, you see this personal knowledge of 
God to his sheep when he says this. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And he says that later on, I'm the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. I love that. In John 15, 13 through 15, uh, the Word of God says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And there you see that reference there to um, this personal relationship with God, being friends with God, loving God. It, evidence, it's a, it, it evidences itself out by um, obeying God, doing what he commands. But in verse 15, look at this. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Um, you, you see in Psalm chapter 8, in that beautiful psalm where David says, What is man that you are mindful of him? And we see here Jesus saying, uh, Instead, I have called you friends. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. What a beautiful, beautiful thing to know Jesus Christ in this way and to have him call us friends. Thank you, Lord. Let's look at point C. Two purposes in our relationship. Um, our relationship with God is not purely pragmatic. God's purpose is not just that we grow through our relationship, but that we mutually enjoy one another in love. That's right. God's not just uh, loving us in order just to get something out of us. Um, God just loves us um, as uh, his children, those who have believed in him, so that we might mutually enjoy him uh, forever, and we might mutually enjoy one another. It's important to know, you know, God wants us to enjoy him, but he also wants us to know that he really enjoys us. You know, when we are his children, we're his adopted children, and he loves us so much, and it's important for us to take that to heart. You know, because when we think about the devoted life and living all out for Christ and things like that, so often we start thinking in terms of sort of mere duty and it's sort of mechanical. Our mind tends to shift toward, you know, sort of just, you know, uh, being very pragmatic about our faith, very mechanical. And we lose that sense of, of real deep personal communion with God. Um, and that's so important for us not to forget. Uh, point one, enjoyment. Our fellowship with God is pure joy to us, and it, and it should it should be. Amazingly, the father's fellowship with his children is joy to him as well. God doesn't just relate with us to get something out of us. It's not just a means to an end, but an end in and of itself. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And look at this passage in Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Wow, that is wonderful. I love I love God so much, don't you? Um, when we turn over to the next page on the outline, John Owen writes, Communion with God is the most wonderful privilege God could give to any of his creatures. That's right. And uh, the first point was enjoyment. The second is growth. Our relationship with God is also a powerful means of growth. 
experience with Him builds our faith, it builds our love for Him, builds our motivation to want to live our lives, to glorify Him. He guides us and empowers us to do what He wills. Um, We know that from John 15, uh, the Word of God says that, Remain in me and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That word remain is uh, the word meno in the Greek, and it, it means to um, literally to remain, um, to abide is one translation of John 15. To abide means to remain closely connected. So by the grace of God, we are connected to the vine. And we are now saved, and we have His life flowing within us. But bearing fruit for the Lord is contingent upon us remaining close to Jesus throughout our Christian lives and growing more and more in our closeness with Him. Second um, Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, God's divine power, His divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He's given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Staying close to Jesus helps us to grow in our relationship with Him and in our fruitfulness, and um, it really does build up our faith, our love, our knowledge, our motivation to glorify and serve Him. Point D, our attitude about the relationship that we have with God. We need to approach God with a balance of reverence and holy familiarity. He's an almighty God. He is almighty God who is worthy of the utmost respect, honor, and adoration. He's also Abba Father who dearly and tenderly loves his children. In addition, we must always maintain a zeal or a passion in our pursuit of him. We don't want to pursue him half-heartedly. We really want to give him our whole heart. Um, there's two aspects to this. When you look at um, the first, reverence. Um, to reverence means to regard with deep respect and love. It includes fear, uh, to dread God's displeasure and uh, desire His favor. It also includes humility, a recognition of God's greatness and and His grace and our unworthiness that God is holy and and I am not. I I look at God's holiness and when you look at God's holiness, you see that He is other. He is high above us and we should worship Him with reverence. You know, the, the twin dangers of a lack of reverence are being either too casual towards God or... Um, being self-centered, sort of approaching God with solely sort of a an I need, I want mentality or attitude. But we really must walk before the Lord humbly. Look at Hebrews twelve twenty-eight through 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We need to worship the Lord with reverence and awe and remember that He is holy and uh, 
and we must reverence him in that way. Secondly, intimacy. Um, the awesome, almighty, consuming fire is also our loving Father. Isn't that amazing? Since we've been reconciled to him through the cross, there's nothing in him that drives his children off. Rather, he continually invites them to come freely to him. And that's really important for every one of us to know, those of us who are believers in Christ, is that God um, isn't holding you off at a distance. You really are his child. And you think about the way that a father or a mother who loves their child interacts with their children. They don't keep them at a distance. They they want their children to come and, and come before them freely and with a peace in the heart and security in the relationship. And So we want to reverence God, but we also want to recognize that we have an intimacy with Him by grace, and we want to really celebrate that and enjoy that. Um, John 6, verse 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. And look at Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love that verse. I love the, the reality that we can come before the throne of grace with confidence, such as our intimacy with our Father, and we want to enjoy that deeply. Well, thirdly, um, this point is important as well. Zeal. If we truly reverence and love God, we will be wholehearted and passionate in our pursuit of Him. Um, so we want to have a mindset of pursuing the Lord, being devoted to the Lord, and being devoted to His church, being consumed with His mission, and to make that the focal point of our lives. Um, you know, when we love Christ, we love His cause, we love His gospel above everything else, and all other goals, all other ambitions um, in our lives um, you know, we want to have those be subservient to our hearts have been changed to things that matter for eternity. We want to not live for just the here and now and the goals that the world lives for now. Now that we're Christians, we want to live all out for Christ. We want to, as Charles Spurgeon wrote, we want to spend and be spent for the good of the cause of the gospel. We want to have a zeal. We want to pursue the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. And uh, we want to, as, as God's word says, to, to gladly be spent for other souls and to be used of the Lord. And we want to have a zeal in our pursuit of him. Uh, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, we must believe that not only does God exist, but we also need to believe that he rewards those who earnestly Seek Him. That phrase, earnestly seeking God, you'll see it again and again and again. Old Testament, no. And that should mark us. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Let us seek the Lord with all of our heart. Look, look at this heart here in Psalm 42, 1 and 2. Some of you really love this psalm. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? And I want to ask myself, am I thirsty for God? Am I growing 
and my thirst? Am I panting after him? Do I have a zeal burning inside of me to want to pursue him, to be devoted to him, and uh, to grow in my personal relationship with him? And that's what really we're going to turn our attention to here. One of the ways that our zeal for God manifests itself is in what the Christians of old called pursuing the spiritual disciplines. Um, these are focused times of communion with God. Um, we all, as Christians, walk with God um, and relate to him all the time. However, we won't develop the intimacy and maturity we want and need apart from a more intense Focus time of just regular communion with God. God has taught us the means for this type of communion throughout Scripture, and we've come to call these the spiritual disciplines. There are many such disciplines, but we're going to focus on the major ones. Bible study, uh, meditation, prayer, and worship. So sort of Scripture intake, prayer, and worship. Um, two points about the disciplines before we begin. First, uh, the keys for all the disciplines are progress and consistency. How we begin is not as important as our continuation and growth in the practice of the disciplines. Second, the disciplines don't earn us anything with God. This is a really important point, one that we need to really take down in our souls. Um, God doesn't love us anymore uh, for our Bible reading and our prayer and our worship. Um, as we live out our Christian lives. It doesn't earn him any favor. We have the favor um, with God, and that is never going to be taken away from us, and that's because of his grace in saving us. It's Christ's perfect performance and Christ's perfect obedience that covers us by grace through justification. And um, we have favor with God. We have peace with God. Um, because by the mercy of God, we have believed in his Son. So, the spiritual disciplines are a means of grace for growth in the Christian life, and um, but they're not meritorious works. They don't earn us anything. And so, doing the spiritual disciplines doesn't earn us anything with God. Um, it does help us to grow in our relationship with him, but it doesn't earn us any favor with him. Um, and also the failure to do them. Um, it, it can affect our relationship with God. We can enter into real dry times where we feel distant from God. But the good news is for those of us who are in Christ, um, even times when we haven't read his word or haven't been praying um, and, and have just kind of been distant ourselves, the favor of God is still over us because of the righteousness of his son, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases over his people and his mercies never come to an end. And that's really wonderful because it's important to know that, that you are secure in God's love if you're a Christian. You are secure in his favor. And um, so we pursue obedience not for God's approval in order to earn something like we looked at last session, but we pursue him from a place of approval. So we, we pursue him, we obey him, not for approval, but from approval. Um, isn't, that, isn't that wonderful? I love that little, uh, that little um, you know, 
distinction there can really make a difference in your Christian life um, and, and help you to understand and, and really enjoy God in your relationship with Him. So let's look at the Word of God, the importance of the Word. The Bible is God's self-revelation to man. In it we find what He is like and what He desires and requires of man. It's therefore essential to our growth in knowledge and godliness. Um, it's inspired by God, it's error-free, and finished. Everything we believe and practice must be judged by the written word. Um, 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, Like newborn babies crave sp- pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And that pure spiritual milk is the word of God. Jesus said, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It really does. It feeds, it nourishes us. And that's why we need to take in the Word of God on a regular basis. Yeah, I heard someone once say it's kind of like um, the way we eat our meals. You know, if somebody were to say to us, you know, what did you eat last Monday for lunch? You know, you might not remember what you had, but you know you did eat because... Uh, <laughs> You were sustained by it. Um, and someone might, you know, say, hey, what did you read in the Bible um, last Monday? You know, and you might not remember exactly what you read, but if you, if you read back then, it did nourish you and it strengthened you. So, you know, we want to um, really rely upon the Word and take the Word of God in to feed our souls in the same way that we don't miss a meal because it feeds our bodies. And our bodies will become malnourished. Our bodies will become weak if we don't take food in. And in the same way, our souls become weak if we don't take the Word of God in. And so that, that's really helpful um, to understand that. Bruce Milne write, writes, God's supreme instrument for renewing His people after the image of Christ is His Word. As we approach the scriptures, we need to particularly keep these three attributes in mind. The Word of God is authoritative. Um, scripture is the very Word of God. It's 100% perfectly pure, the Word of God. And as such is the final rule of faith and practice. The authority of Scripture is the authority of God Himself. So to disobey Scripture is to disobey God. Um, and it's important for us to really... Um, look at God's Word in that way and to come before it um, with a heart, you know, ready to listen and to obey um, as we as we take it in. It's also sufficient. It's authoritative, but it's, it's also sufficient. Scripture contains all that is required for man's salvation and for all matters of faith and practice. No other source, such as tradition, is required in conjunction with Scripture. And it's true. All traditions, even within the church, are to be submitted underneath of the Word of God. Um, and the Word of God, and the, you see this during the time of the Protestant Reformation, where the Word of God really um, is meant to continually reform and continue to reform God's church. And, and we're constantly taking the Word of God in, and we submit ourselves, and we submit our traditions, we submit our practices to the authoritative and sufficient Word of God. And there's no other authority in our lives 
um, that's meant to have the authority that God's word has. And so um, you look at that passage there in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is beautiful. All scripture is God-breathed. It's literally breathed out by God. Or as B.B. Warfield said, it's produced by God's creative breath. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that thoroughly equipped speaks to Scripture's sufficiency. We really have everything we need for faith and practice when we have God's Word. And God's Word really does. It speaks to everything that we're facing. And I'm so thankful for uh, God's truth and God's Word. Um, C, clarity, um, or as others have called it, the doctrine of the perspicuity or the clarity of Scripture. Every essential article of faith and rule of practice is clearly revealed or deducible from Scripture so that the ordinary Christian may learn them. Um, and, and this is so good. It, you know, I, I don't have to be a very, very smart person to come before the Word of God and benefit from it. You don't have to be a scholar to come before the Word. God ministers to to plain folk just like us through His plainly written Word. And the Word of God is very clear. And um, we can read it and understand it. And we don't need to be um, scholars or or Bible experts in order to gain something from God. And I, I love how God's done that. He's written His Word so clearly that we can understand it, and uh, it's so clear. It's so kind of God. Uh, point two, the definition. When we speak of the Bible as a spiritual discipline, we mean the intake of the Scriptures through hearing, reading, study, memorization. Um, there's so many different ways that we can take the Word of God in. And one of the things we want to encourage you to do is to have like a real, like, you know, by way of uh, practical, just sort of a, a plan of how you're going to take the scriptures in. Um, you know, you never want to become sort of legalistic about a plan where you kind of think, oh man, I've got to fulfill this plan or else I'm not pleasing God. And, and no, not in that kind of way. But in order to, you know, grow with anything in our lives, <clears throat> we need to plan for it. If you think of, you know, exercise, if we're going to grow in our health physically, we, we need to develop a plan to either go to the gym or go for a daily walk or that sort of thing. It's the same thing with our Christian lives when it comes to growing in our, our uh, relationship with the Lord. Having a plan is a wonderful thing. Being disciplined is a wonderful thing. It's not bad. Um, and it's important for us uh, to, to remember that. Um, having a plan doesn't mean that you're legalistic. Now, people can become legalistic in following their plans, um, but that doesn't mean we should stop making plans, because it can really help us to grow. We have on our church website some Bible reading plans. There's also, if you type, you know, Bible reading plans into, you know, a search engine on the internet, you'll you'll find some good plans um, for scripture reading that will match where you're at in your Christian life and anything from, you know, just a brief portion of scripture to read every day to um, larger amounts of scripture are um, available to you, and we want to encourage you to to really have a plan. You know, one of the other things you can do is to have like a little journal and write down maybe a few highlight thoughts from something that you read, and um, 
you know, that you don't need to have that, but it can be a blessing to you to help you remember uh, what affected you in the morning. You take it with you to work and you can look and see, or to school and you can look and see, oh, that's right, God spoke to me from this passage of Scripture this morning, and it can help you to kind of remember and meditate on it throughout the day. Um, Thomas Watson, a quote um, on page 7 of the outline, take every word of God, take every word, as spoken to yourselves, when the word thunders against sin, think this, God means my sins. When it presseth any duty, God intends me in this. Many put off scripture from themselves as if it were only concerned with those who lived in the time when it was written. But if you intend to profit by the word, bring it home to yourselves. A medicine will do no good unless it is applied. That's really how we want to um, read God's word. We want to not again not think of it in terms of like a duty mechanical check it off your list. I got it done type way. You want to really just be poised to just like oh I can't wait to encounter God in His Word today and have that type of heart related to it. We can include outside reading. Um, we want to avoid the I don't feel like it syndrome. Um, we're never going to feel like being disciplined. I mean our our nature as human beings is to move away from anything that takes discipline. Um, whether it be, you know, exercise, as I mentioned earlier, or anything that's really good or going to be beneficial. Um, you know, we're not going to feel like doing it all the time. So look at, look at this quote by Jeffrey Thomas. It's wonderful. So do not expect always to get an emotional charge or a feeling of quiet peace when you read the Bible. By the grace of God, you may expect that to be a frequent experience, but often you will get no emotional response at all. Let the word break over your heart and mind again and again as the years go by. And imperceptibly, there will come great changes in your attitude and conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize these. Often you will feel very, very small because increasingly the God of the Bible will become to you wonderfully great. So go on reading it until you can read no longer. And then you will not need the Bible anymore because when your eyes close for the last time in death and never again read the Word of God in Scripture, you will open them to the Word of God in the flesh, that same Jesus of the Bible whom you have known for so long, standing before you to take you forever to His eternal home. Isn't that wonderful? I love that. But I love the way it highlights. You're not always going to get this like huge emotional rush when you read the Word, but but sometimes you will. I mean, God's going to really touch you as you read, and you'll be affected by it, but... You don't want to always be looking to, you know, to get a, a emotional stir out of it, um, or else think like, oh, it really doesn't benefit me, or man, it wasn't, I didn't really get excited about reading it today. No, by reading it, it's 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 like it's having its desired effect, even at times when emotionally you're feeling like, oh, I just kind of read again today, and it really didn't affect me a ton. Don't think that that's not of great worth in terms of your soul. It's like water in a creek bed. It's it's breaking down the hard places and the rocks that are in that creek bed and making it smooth. And if if a stream flows long enough over a rocky terrain, it'll it'll erode away and and cause a channel to be formed. And that's like the word of God in our souls. We we grow. We we are changed by the word of God running over us. And we need to be disciplined in order to grow in that way. So, 
you know, when we don't spend time with the Lord, often we can be saying, you know, I really don't need God today. I'm okay in my own strength. And um, often that's the heart of the matter, even more than laziness. Sometimes it's self-sufficiency, just sort of a mindset of, I'm good. And uh, no, we really do need the Lord every day. And it can affect us greatly when we go before his word. It will affect us greatly. But remember, God loves us because of Christ, not because of our discipline in reading his word. Though our growth will be hindered, our standing will never be. Uh, be motivated by grace, not legalism, when pursuing the spiritual disciplines. And legalism just means pursuing something with a view toward earning it for ourselves and and um, pursuing uh, our own works as the means to achieve favor with God rather than uh, trusting in the Lord and believing in him as the only grounds upon which we receive his favor. So, you know, if, if you struggle with having sort of a hunger and an appetite for the word of God and growing in your uh, your heart to want to read and maybe you can be inconsistent, pray about that. You know, cry out to God and say, Lord, you know, this is an area I really know I need to grow in. God, give me more hunger. Give me more passion for your word. Help me to long for it. Um, even more than I long for my daily meals, you know. And God will really meet you in that. Um, as we turn our attention to B and to C and, and move through the outline, I'll move a little bit faster here. Um, but another way for Bible intake is for us to meditate on the Word, to turn it over, to think about it, ponder it again and again. Um, Joshua one eight says to meditate on the Word of God day and night so that we might be careful to do everything written in it. Um, meditations like you can take a phrase from Scripture or even a, a verse from Scripture, and um, it's like putting um, it's like putting a mint in your mouth or a piece of candy, a hard piece of candy, and turning it over again and again and again. The flavor just lasts for a long time, and it and it really uh, helps you to grow in understanding the Word of God. And I'll let you look at some of the practicals there. Um, it's, if you want to grow more in meditation, there's some practical suggestions there in the outline for you to enjoy. Let's move to C, prayer. Um, we need to recognize how important prayer is. It's uh, We're called to devote ourselves to prayer, to pray continually, to always keep on praying for the saints. Praying is vital and affects our relationship with God. Um, it's a means of receiving from God both for ourselves and others, um, ask and you will receive, the Word of God says. Um, B, it's an expression of trust and a means of growing in faith. Our flesh tends towards self-sufficiency and pride. It also tends toward fear and unbelief. Prayer is God's invitation to recognize our own weakness and to put our full trust in Him. And just talking to God, uh, the more we pray, the deeper our fellowship with Him will be. It's a means of bringing us into deeper communion and fellowship with God. It's it's a conversation with God. And with any relationship, we need to talk. We need, And that, it's amazing that we have prayer where we really can just talk to God. And we, we don't want to think of it in sort of a stiff, formal way. We want to um, just talk to God and have a deep personal relationship with Him. Like He's our best friend, like He's our Father. Talk to Him in that way. Um, D, it's a means of working His eternal will through the agency of man when we pray for people and pray for situations. God doesn't need us to pray so that his will can be done, but he has ordained prayer as a means for accomplishing that work. It's just one more way that God privileges us to co-labor with him 
our prayers matter. They really do make a difference. And um, I, I love those quotes there, and I'll, I'll allow you to read those. Let's look at prayer defined. Prayer is silent or spoken communication with God from our heart and mind. It is a spiritual dialogue between a child of God and his heavenly Father or between a servant and his gracious Lord. Prayer is communication. It includes both talking to God and listening to God. And when we pray, we may thank God, praise him, confess our sins, express our surrender and submission, make our petitions or requests known to him, uh, for others and for ourselves and so, so much more. We can talk to, we can talk to God about anything and really, uh, cry out to Him in that way. We also want to listen to God and, and really wait upon Him and, um, ask Him for guidance. It's wonderful that, you know, throughout the scriptures, you see God's people asking Him for specific guidance. And as we pray, we want to trust that God really not only hears our prayers, but He's going to answer our prayers, he's going to speak to us and, and guide us wonderfully through his word, but also through the leadership and, and being led of the Holy Spirit. He's going to really speak to us in a powerful way, and, and he does that as we pray to him. Um, some practicals related to prayer. Um, you know, I think a few things to remember is to be led by the Holy Spirit. We want to remember to pray in Jesus' name. We want to, as point C says, ask with the right motives. Um, you know, Scripture says when, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Um, we want to really uh, ask the Lord with a heart that really uh, is, is aiming in the direction of just pleasing Him, and that's so vital. We want to discern God's will, um, and that relates to asking with right motives. God's not going to do anything contrary to his purpose and plans just because we ask. And conversely, we should not want anything that's not God's will for us. That's so true. Um, You know, like, for example, one of the things that God's word says is that we should not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So uh, speaking to our our singles, you know, um, one of the things that God's word calls us to is we want to, you know, in relation to pursuing marriage, you want to marry. If you're a Christian, you want to marry another Christian. You never want to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You don't want to marry a non-Christian. So, you know, in relation to prayer, we should never pray, God, please, I want to marry a person who's not a Christian, because that's praying outside of the will of God, and that's not going to be something that God um, wants to grant to you. It, there's times when Christians will disobey the Lord and marry an unbeliever, but that's that's not um, something we should ask God for in prayer. And if if a Christian marries an unbeliever, there's there's it doesn't mean that a Christian won't be forgiven of that. They they can be forgiven if they repent of their sins for doing that. Um, and God will be with them in that marriage and 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 will pour out blessing upon their Christian lives. But it will have its consequences. Um, and in relation to uh, things like that, we want to recognize um, we don't want to go into a situation disobeying or asking God, please bless me in this path of disobedience. Um, you know, and it's important to note too, like what I was saying about disobedience. You know, we all, as Christians, even disobey the Lord, and 
you know, if we look back on our past and recognize, man, I, I disobeyed God, and maybe as even as I look back, I look and say, man, I, I disobeyed the Lord, and I, I didn't even really know that I did. You know, we just want to ask God, please, Lord, would you please forgive me? And know that there's really grace. He will forgive us of all of our sins. And that's a beautiful thing to remember when we ask him uh, for forgiveness. He is, you know, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But as it stands like in our current Christian life, what that point D is talking about in terms of discerning God's will, we need to ask for things according to his will. Like 1 John 5 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Um, you know, point E there, known and unconfessed sin will hinder our prayers. And this is connected a little bit with point D. God may withhold his blessing and fellowship if we harbor sin or unforgiveness in our heart. Um, if we harbor unrepentant sin and we don't give it to God, we don't turn away from it. Look at Psalm 68, 18, 66, 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. In Mark 11. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So we want to make sure that we don't cherish sin in our heart. And we want to make sure that when we ask God for things, that we ask according to his will. And his will is revealed in his written word. And uh, all the while remembering that when we sin, uh, we have an advocate before the Father, our representative, Jesus Christ, who will forgive us. And I'm particularly burdened about those who I just mentioned a moment ago who maybe... Uh, have disobeyed God in the past by um, either marrying an unbeliever. God is with you. If you're a Christian and you're in that situation, God is with you now. He'll be with you in in the consequences to any sin. And we talk about this with believers who, you know, they sin or they break the law and they, they go to prison. Um, you know, one of the things that we always say to people is, you know, if you repent of your sins, God forgives you of those sins completely and freely. And at times there's going to be consequences to those sins that play out um, over time, like prison time or prison sentences. And But God will be with you in the consequences. And you won't be experiencing um, being out of his favor or out of his steadfast love. And that's a beautiful thing to remember. But we always want to remember to really go into walking in our Christian lives saying, God, I want to obey you, I want to follow you, and I want to pray for things in accordance with your will. And I want to, if I cherish sin in my heart, I want to repent of that. Um, you know, you see that passage of Scripture in the New Testament where the Word of God uh, just admonishes, um, you know, husbands. That if, if, if we're harsh with our wives, we need to repent of that because, lest our prayers be hindered. Um, unrepentant sin against our spouse, um, you know, it can hinder our experience of God. It can hinder our relationship with God. You know, it, it doesn't take us out of God's favor, but it does affect our relationship with him, father to son or father to daughter. We can feel a distance come into our relationship with God when our prayer life wanes or our, our distance in our heart and our relationship with him begins to grow. And that can be very easily remedied if we just turn back to the Lord. We want to pray with expectant faith, point G. 
um, you know, turning to God and believing that as we cry out to the Lord, He is uh, hearing us and He loves that we pray to Him. And uh, the uh, point F, we want to persevere in our prayer. We don't want to give up. Let's continue to go on knocking, go on seeking, knowing that God hears us. Um, as we turn our attention to point D, worship, in one sense, all of life is to worship God. But uh, point one, worship defined. Worship is the occupation of the heart, not with its needs or even with God's blessings, but with God himself. Wayne Grudem defines it as the act of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and hearts. We worship God because he is altogether worthy of it. He's worthy of our worship, our praise, our thanksgiving, our devotion. And um, let's look at a few practicals in relation to our worship of the Lord. Uh, Many people are used to worshiping only in the context of corporate gathering. But, you know, you can worship God privately. You can sing to God. You can pray to God. You can give praise to God in your prayers. You know, you can load up some sweet worship songs on uh, your iTunes and 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 your uh, you know your CDs and gather them together and, and worship and worship to wonderful worship music and grow and, and singing and praising God in in public, which is important, but also in private. We want to worship in spirit, and worship in spirit means it's an attitude of the soul. Um, and we also want to worship God in truth. We want to worship Him as He really is. And we see at, we see him as he really is in his word of truth. So we want to make sure we're always worshiping the Lord um, with an attitude of the soul. We want to be very passionate in our worship of the Lord and worship him with all of our hearts. But we want to love the Lord our God and worship him with all of our minds. Also, worshiping him with spirit and truth is really a, the heart cry of our church. Um, point C, worship that is wholehearted. Um, worship is a participatory event, not a spectator sport. It involves the whole man. We want to really give our whole heart over to worshiping the Lord, praising Him, as Psalm 103 one says, with all of our inmost being, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to love the Lord and make that the goal of our life, worshiping Him. And we want to be devoted to Christ. We want to be devoted to His people. You want to be devoted to a gospel-preaching local church all your life. And um, we're so excited you're checking out our church. We pray that you'll become a member and that part of your personal devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ would be that you would devote yourself to a gospel-preaching local church where you'll be able to uh, follow the Lord all of your days. Because that's the way we're meant to worship. We're not just meant to worship in private. We're meant to worship God publicly. And that's the final point here, the Sunday meeting. Um, our Sunday morning corporate meetings are built on the same disciplines that we each need to practice privately throughout the week. Um, it is there at church on Sundays and at our fellowship times throughout the week that God helps us to know and to grow in Him corporately, just as He helps us privately in our personal devotional times. Um, it's a critical time for us as a church to move forward in God's purposes and plans for us. And, um, you know, we really want to encourage you to, you know, commit, as you commit to our church, to really commit and to be all in and uh, to make it your practice in your Christian life to really be regular, to be devoted, to be consistent um, 
you know, to not be sort of a hit or miss Christian with, ah, I don't really feel like going to church today. I don't really feel like going to small group. I don't really feel like, and kind of living based off of whether you feel like doing something or not. We want to be really disciplined in our personal times with the Lord, but also we want to be disciplined um, in our corporate devotion as well, like in Acts chapter 2, where the Word of God says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Um, you know, our Christian life is not meant to be just sort of Jesus and me. We looked at this earlier in the beginning of this course. It really is Jesus and we. Now, we need to have Jesus and me first, but immediately on the tails of having a deep personal relationship with the Lord, a real relationship with Christ, immediately you see God's people immediately plugging into the local church and devoting themselves to the corporate worship and service to the Lord, to minister to God, to receive from God through the preaching of the Word, through worship corporately, and also to minister to one another and encourage and build each other up as the body of Christ. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to this session and um, really looking forward to serving Christ together with you.